Welcome back to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jam, the founder of I Am The Code. I hope you have been keeping well during this lockdown and starting to go out slowly. Let's not forget that times are really tough for many, many people. And as we adjust, we must remember to be kind, compassionate and caring. I want to also thank you so much for your feedback for World Refugee Week and your donation. We really appreciate you. Each time you support I Am The Code, you're elevating a young woman and a young girl globally. So thank you for helping us. We also have celebrated Pride Month and we are very excited for our friends. It has been a busy, busy month. We are about to close this month with our guest, Millie Lacombe. She's a renowned journalist from Brazil, Sao Paulo, writer, a fighter for justice. She does speak her mind. That's what we need right now, people speaking their mind. I admire her so much. I will never forget the love and the attention she gave me when I was in Brazil. She wrote my story. She was just very, very sweet and compassionate. I always think that the spirit of Pride Month is empathy, compassion, education, and equality. It's about people saying, I want justice. We all deserve equality, and I want to be free. We all want to be who we are. We want to be free. But in today's world, most of us are well adjusted to injustice and indifference. We tend to be silent. We don't say anything. We don't participate. But we must look beyond ourselves, take action, do something and be a force for good. Millions of young boys and girls across the world are being discriminated because of their sexuality, their skin color, where they come from, their religion, who they are, what they wear, who they love, how they look. And this is dreadful. It's discrimination in all forms. We need to cure people with love, as Millie said. I hope you can join me to congratulate my LGBTQ family. I love them. My queer family have adopted me for over decades. I have so many friends who have been discriminated. That's why I understand them. I love them dearly. They are the best in the world. So thank you. I hope you enjoy my conversation. See you on the other side. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Mariam Jam, and um, I am your host. I am so honored to have in this podcast today a lady I met in Brazil, and her name is Millie Lacombe. If you haven't heard about her, please Google her. And uh, I'm just going to say good morning. Good morning, Millie. Good morning, Mariam. Thank you How for inviting you? me. I'm good. I'm very good. I mean, uh, in spite of all the things that ha are happening in the world, I'm good. You know, Millie, I'm so honored to have you on this podcast. And I will tell you, I always say to people when I invite them on a podcast, I say why I, I decided to invite them to this podcast. I've got two things you have done for me that I think the world should know about. You are someone I really admire. I think you have been through so much but you are so kind, so compassionate, and you are always fighting for human rights issues, fighting for the marginalized communities. And that really attracted me about you. Uh, and I remember uh, coming to Brazil and I got a, you know, a communication uh, lady called me and said, you are going to have an interview with this amazing journalist. 
her name is Mili Lacombe. I said, oh my God, okay, okay. I was very excited. You had a very short hair. I came to your studio. And I remember that day, I was a bit uh, suspicious, you know, because I, I go to press houses all the time and everybody wants to share my story. Everybody wants to know what I do. And, and they kind of like rush me all the time. And, you know, but I remember you were so kind, so kind and compassionate. You got me to sit in a, in, in a beautiful room and you you were so interested and you were really, really kind and, and compassionate. You took your time to listen to me. You listened to my story. You respected me. And, uh, and I, I wanted the world to know about this before we start the podcast. And this is why I wanted to invite you to come and really um, share your story because you are always interviewing other people. <laughs> and now it's my turn to interview you. So th that's why I wanted you to come and um, I wanted the world to know that. So I want to say thank you so much for everything you have done for me. And then the second bit is you wrote an amazing piece about it. You know, you wrote a, a wonderful article and it, it has so many, many views. That was the first time uh, I got uh, someone written uh, my my story in a you know in a so accurate way in Brazil and uh, you know it touched so many communities. Until now, I get people retweeting it. You know, you took a nice photo, and I think that's what journalism is: respecting uh, people. You know, I was so impressed with that, and I just wanted to mention those two things you have done for me as a black woman. I really really appreciate that. Thank you. Oh my God, your words just uh, moved me. Thank you, thank you. I mean, I, I did nothing really. I, I just met you and you touched me and your story is just an amazing story. It's like when you start, started talking to me in that little room we were in, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, who is this woman? Which story is this? Because it's inspiring and it's a story of empowerment and it's a story that all women all over the world should listen to. I mean, um, life, life, we have a saying in Brazil that, that goes like, life is about encounters. Mm -hmm. And when I met you, I had, I had this really, really deep, um uh impression uh, that that what we were doing there in that little room was life was uh, what is life is all about you know just meeting a very 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 uh inspiring person and listen to to her talk you know mm -hmm. that's what life is all about so thank you no no <laughs> we appreciate you <laughs> anyway so how are you feeling in brazil how is everything in brazil how is life Oh my God, life is really weird in Brazil right now, Mariam, because, I mean, the pandemic is really tough by itself. It mm -hmm. would be tough anyway, but we have a maniac as president, <laughs> uh, a, a sociopath, and uh, it's it's crazy now because uh, people are out in the streets working. The workers are just, you know, at the, in the subways. They are just taking it uh as if it was a normal uh, world because they say if I don't do that I will starve to death because the virus is a possibility but the hunger is a certainty so I'm out I'm, I'll work I have to do that for my family 
you have been really vocal in you know your Instagram and you've been really talking about these issues for a very long time. Uh, Millie, can you just tell us a little bit about your childhood? You know, you, you always go in for the marginalized communities and I think that's what I love about you. People may not know how did you grow up and do you mm-hmm. mind sharing that with us? No, not at all. So I grew up in a very traditional family in Brazil. My mother uh, comes from Italy. She was born in Italy and she came to Brazil because of the war. My my dad in Rio de Janeiro, where where I was born. And it was a very traditional family. We were like a very upscale kind of family. And the only thing that, uh, well, I am a woman, so I'm a side generous woman. So uh, I knew I was like from the wrong, right? Very, very careful, wrong gender because they say that the the world belongs to men. Mm. And I believed that for a while. So that was the first thing I noticed about me. And then I discovered that I was a lesbian with like 10, 11 years old. And then it it hit me that if I am a woman and I am a a lesbian, I'm, I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm wrong. Uh, this is not the world for me. Mm-hmm. And well, I lived like that for a while. Then I decided to tell my mom I was a lesbian. And then she stopped talking to me <laughs> for like five years. Really? Well, yeah, yeah. And then the, the li- life goes on. And I, I I assumed like I am a lesbian. So I, I started writing about sexuality and about you know, equality and how the world can be tough for, you know, the, the ones that don't fit, that don't, don't, the world don't make room for for them. Mm-hmm. And that's when I that touched the, 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 the unprivileged and the, all the injustice in the world. I mean, I had it easy, really, because I'm, I'm a lesbian and my mom stopped talking to me. That's, that's the most difficult things that I have been going through. But as I looked at the world as it is, I could see so much injustice and so much prejudice. And I couldn't take it. So I started writing about it, you know. And oh. it shouldn't, it's not right that there is a gender that is universal, like men, and there mm-hmm. is a sexuality that is universal, like heterosexual. And then I'm, I'm doing what I can uh, to, you know, make make people understand that these these concepts are wrong and that we should not accept them. We should fight them. Yeah, that, that's really amazing, Millie. And so how did you feel then when your mom didn't want to accept you when you were like really 11 years old? That was a very young age. Yeah, but yeah, I was a little, uh, I was a 20-something when I told her and mm-hmm. uh, and she just cut um, communication with me uh, for five years almost five years uh, it was tough but I knew she was trying to deal with it yeah. because the the, the the sickness about uh, homosexuality is called homophobia right yeah. there is a sickness it's called homophobia and I knew she, she could she could be cured with love so I waited and she definitely was cured. Now today, I mean, I'm 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 here in this little house I have up at the mountain, and she's coming here tomorrow to be wow. with me and my wife. She's cured, <laughs> and like a virus, there is no coming back. Once once she had it and she's cured, she doesn't have it anymore. You know? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> How is your wife? She's beautiful as well. How is your wife? Is she okay? <laughs> yes, she's nice. She's nice. We are we are safe here, and we are just trying to deal with. That she's an 
anthropologist. So she's looking at it with the scientific lenses, you know, and trying to make sense anyhow. You are my favorite couple. I, I, I go on your Instagram, <laughs> I, I go and sneak on your Instagram. <laughs> Thank you, especially when you're giving her a hug. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you so, so much. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I was adopted by the, by the LGBTQ communities. You know, our common friend, David Hurst, um, I love him. You know, he's the one uh-huh. who with you. And, um, and he said to me, I think in your older life, you were gay. So I said, yes, you are right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David, he's a very nice man. Yeah, he is. You know, we, we always talk about uh, women and girls in Brazil. I've been coming to Brazil uh, since 2009. I've been working there. And um, one of the things I see also about this, you know, sexuality and identity crisis is young girls living in favelas. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, what, what do you usually say to those people? I know they do uh, watch you all the time. And, and what do you say to them? I, recently, I've been listening to them because they are vocal and they are very empowered now and they are saying things that uh, we all have to listen to. So I, I have been listening to them more than talking to them. Mm-hmm. But every time we have a chance to talk and to meet or that I have a chance to write something that I know will reach them, I, I, I want to say organize, you know, organize because we won't change the world alone but we will definitely change the world if we are together so organize and um, go to your you know uh, see what your favelas or your community is doing politically to change things as they are and um, read as much as you can people like angela davis mm. and James i was gonna Baldwin. mention her actually i know she's your she's your hero <laughs> yes and we have here in brazil like jamila ribeiro who is a preeminent writer she's philosopher awesome. she's, awesome. she's she's awesome and we have people that uh, died already and they left that's the thing about about art right we can communicate through time and these people left uh, uh, an amazing work, like Lélia Gonzalez, uh, Carolina Maria de Jesus, and we have access to their sayings, you know. And mm. they are—they all like Malcolm X. They are saying the same thing to us, right? Uh, organize and fight and fight because this world, we can change the world, but we're gonna have to stay together and fight. Never, every day, every day, every day. So the next generation can have it easier. So justice can be, you know, um, a certain thing. And people in Brazil right now, they are doing that. It's amazing because the virus uh, exposed things that were kind of hidden. I mean, hidden for uh, the ones that didn't want to see it. Mm-hmm. All this injustice, you know, all the racism in Brazil, yep. Yep. all the sexism, they are coming now really, really clear. I mean, it's you, you cannot not see it. You cannot hide it. And people are going to the streets and saying, this, this stuff has to end. We won't take racism anymore. We won't take sexism anymore. So the black community in Brazil and the feminists in Brazil, they are, they are pushing this, this movement forward. You know, it's, it's very sad what's happening in one side, but it's also very uh, beautiful to see people going, okay, we have it. We had it. We will change it. 
No, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the other thing I, I was saying to my friend yesterday when she asked me who you're going to interview, and I was mentioning your name, you have always stood up for Black people. You never, I, I like what you just said, you never spoke for them. Uh, you are always giving them a platform to come and speak. Uh, and as you know, all of the people you just mentioned, you know, we had a common friend uh, who died, Marcella, she was killed as well. But but one of the things I've noticed about you as well is, you know, you you understand your privilege and you are always giving, uh, you know, a space to black people mm -hmm. to express. And I really appreciate that. And so I, I think you mentioned earlier about identity and sexuality. What can we do at this COVID-19 uh, to improve the life of black people and feminists and, and, you know, and all of these marginalized communities? What can we do? You know, Mariam, I think that uh, one of the basic things us as human beings do is like share stories, right? We'll tell stories to each other. This is a very, I mean, before we learn how to write, we were telling stories to each other. Mm -hmm. So I think we are in a, in a phase, in a time that we have to uh, retell stories because the stories we were told and now um, we can understand that some of them are big, big lies. I mean, for instance, Brazil wasn't discovered by the Portuguese people. Brazil was <laughs> occupied. Brazil was invaded, you know. Uh, they, they, when I was in school, they made me believe that I should relate to the Europeans. But that's a lie. I mean, I should relate to the Indians. When we saw that movies uh, like Cowboy and Indians fighting, they made us uh, root for the cowboy, not telling us we were the Indians. The first foundation in Brazil was uh, slavery. Yeah. It was what, what founded Brazil. Sure. And we have this going on to up to this date. We have to talk about it. Black history did not begin with slavery. It began in Africa. Yep. Black people were queens and kings. Yep. They never told us that. That's never. why my new, do you know my new name is Lady now? Do you know? <laughs> I call myself Lady Mariam now. So someone was asking me yesterday, why do you call yourself Lady Mariam? I said, that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's a call, another story. But that, that's it, you know. And I, I my point of view were, was formed by reading uh, white men. Uh, for a long time here in Brazil, the elite uh, just read like, you know, white men. And when you start listening to other points of views, other people's stories, like James Baldwin, Angela, Angela oh, Davis, yes, you yes. know, you go like, oh, my God, this is not the world they made me believe it was. It's a completely different world. I want to listen to those stories. So when you start listening to those stories, you change. Your head explodes, you know. And uh, I mean, that's what we, I think we should do uh, now, retell stories. Uh, all the lies must, you know, like they are doing with all the statues all over the world. They are taking the statues and yeah. put them down. Yeah, okay, like oppressors, you don't have you don't have a podium for yourself. You're going down. <laughs> it's very true. No, they have like a podium. They want us to leave the, the podium. It's a big deal here in the UK right now. They we're talking about it on the news every single day. It's so fascinating.
They want us yeah, to leave them. They, Columbus, like Christopher, Christopher Columbus. Yesterday I was saying that they, they made us believe that Christopher Columbus discovered the Americas, but it's not, you know, discovered, I don't know where, but I was like, that's not true. That's not true. That's and not you, true. And the, right. it was the first, the first genocide for us here. I mean, 90, 90% of the population was decimated or, or, or by, by diseases or because they were killed. But 90%, 90% of the Americas, the population of um, the, the Americas, were, it was genocide. And they never tell us that. They, they want us to believe that Columbus was a hero. When I he know. was a genocide. I know. I know. Yesterday I was saying to uh, Miwaza, our creative director, she's based in Japan, and I was saying to her yesterday, I'm so happy I didn't go, I didn't go to school. I didn't learn about this, this information, this toxic uh, nonsense. I mean, 45 years later, we discovered that uh, Christopher Columbus <laughs> didn't discover exactly. <laughs> I, said, I said to my son, what did I teach you at school? But what is really dangerous about this, Millie, um, is that uh, these young people will lead us one day. So I think your point to rewriting stories, but at the same time, telling history as it was, is really important. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, I would be another person. I mean, I would, my eyes would be opened uh, really earlier if they told me the right stories, you know. I could just go to school and say, well, let's, okay, if this is what happened, I'll change the world. And we cannot accept it because people are internalized with uh, these concepts that are just simply not true. Yep. That freedom has to do with as things you can buy. Yep. And freedom is going to the supermarket and have like 35 uh, types of yogurt. It's not. True. It's not. No. Freedom is responsibility. Freedom is looking at the other. Freedom is, you know, it requires attention and focus and discipline. Freedom is another, because there is no individual freedom. It's a lie. You cannot, as you cannot be uh, collectively pregnant, you cannot be individually free. Mm. Freedom has to do with everybody. If there is a girl in the uh, favelas in Brazil that is not free, I cannot be free. I cannot be free until she is. And so it's a it's a collective action. We have to do that together. You are right because I, I think you you and I both have read Angela uh, Angela Davis, and then uh, she's one of my biggest uh, you know motivation. And I read you know her books like a Bible for me. And it's and then mm -hmm. I was reading also this guy called. Uh, Yuval Harari, and he was talking uh -huh. about sexuality and the fiction, the stories. Uh, and I was mm -hmm. sharing this book in my with my women groups, and 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 he's right, just exactly what you said. The fiction, like all this myth. He said he was he he knew he was gay when he was mm -hmm. eleven years old, but society told him no, you cannot be with a man. You can only mm -hmm. marry people. And his mother wanted to marry him with a woman he doesn't actually love. He doesn't want to be mm -hmm. with. And so he said for all of his teenage years, he was he was living in misery. And when he started yeah. to discover his sexuality and then he said, I actually, I'm now gay. I'm going to marry my husband. And then he started taking ownership. And then he then started writing books about uh, myth and and the, 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 the four stories we tell to the world and I definitely understand what you're saying about uh, writing new stories. I've been to places in Brazil where people really have identity crisis and mm -hmm. they don't know if they come from Africa, they don't know if mm -hmm. they come from Brazil. And then I was at this conference where they were talking about, you know, their, black, their blackness, uh, identity crisis, they, they all wear African clothes. 
they got beautiful curly hair mm-hmm. but inside inside as you said earlier you can feel the identity crisis they don't know where they come from because no one actually told them yeah exactly and there is another thing that's very cruel that happens in brazil that we 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 are brought up with the myth that we are not racists that in brazil there is no racism and so we are all weako and we have to you know just mingle and that's a lie because racism is not just the understand that we are weako because that's obvious but racism is the understanding that the uh, institutions uh, um they operate in the with a structural racism we have to understand this structure behind racism and sexism because if we don't we won't change anything we will believe that if a a, a white lady uh, if i am a black lady and a white lady says good morning how are you she's not a racist because she's uh, treating me well and this is basic human decency you just treat everybody and, and every uh, living being well, right? Mm-hmm. Not uh, just people, but we should be treating this planet in a in a whole other way. But racism is, is very deep in the structure in Brazil because we are founded by slavery. Uh, slavery is the, the, the what what uh, you know constitutes this country from day one. So we have to change all the institutions, all the structures. It's a really, really, really deep job we have to do. You are right. You know, this is what's happening. That I've been spending the whole week talking about uh, my son, as you know, is a mixed race child. And I live in the UK and I've been really saddened with the, the gentleman they killed in the, in the United States. And then mm-hmm. you are right. This is based on. And, you know, the thing is, I think what I like about you, the journalism, your, your, the way you see things is that the United States, many black people don't also know about slavery, for example. And in the, this attitude mm-hmm. of uh, police brutality, we have this in the in Brazil as well. You know, guns and and people demonizing, uh, you know, black people. We have that as well. So, in in your writings and in your, uh, you know, in your what the things you observe, how can we make sure that there's uh, there's no police brutality? I just heard in uh, in favelas, you know, over three hundred people have, uh, you know also uh, catch COVID-19, the police is, is giving them hard time. So, mm-hmm. you know, wh- what do you think we could do about that as well? We have to, uh, as, as the Americans as far are fighting for now, we have to refund the police because the police is a very uh, corrupt and racist and sexist institution. If you talk to a policeman, you can see he's just a human being or she's just a human being. But the institution is corrupt. The institution is racist. So what they are doing now in Brazil, in with the COVID-19, they are sending operations to the favelas and they are killing people. They are just that, yeah. killing people. I mean, it never did not happen, you know. It happens even with when we had like a left-wing government, Lula mm-hmm. and then Dilma. It happened. Police go into the favelas and they just start um, f- firing. So the other day, before George Floyd was killed in the United States, that horrifying killing, uh, a, a boy, a little black boy in Brazil, uh, João Pedro, he was playing with his cousins in his backyard in the favela, and a policeman enters and shoot him to death. And this happens every day for decades here in Brazil. So when when we say like, oh, we have to go to the streets and find for democracy, some people in Brazil could say, what democracy? 
what are you talking about? I never experienced democracy. You know, it, it's just justice, which justice? Uh, black people in Brazil, the black mothers in Brazil, they don't know if their uh, children will go out and come back. Honestly, because they're not sure if the police, the other day, a, a, a black friend, a black fr a friend of mine, mm -hmm. he told me that he told his son that he cannot come back home running from the gym. Just just don't run, he said to his son, 19-year-old son. I feel so worried as a mother when my son is out. And then mm -hmm. because we, we live in the southeast of England and you think there's no racism, there's big racism here. Mm -hmm. But I've been living here for a long time, but I can see the racism level going up and up and up. And my son is the only mixed race child in on the street. And I see the way people look at looking at him. And I remember when mm -hmm. he was like 14, 15, the police used to pass by and looking at the house. Uh, and then I, I just like, I, I was so worried. And now when he goes out, he's got his car, uh, you know, he's a beautiful mixed race child. I am like always worried. I said, please God, don't take him away from me. Please, please mm -hmm. let him come back home. But I shouldn't be feeling like this, Millie. No, no, no mother should feel like that. First of all, it's, it's just not acceptable that a son that dies before uh, a parent. It's, it's even if for natural causes. Um, it, this is the saddest thing in the world. In mm -hmm. Portuguese, we don't have a word for that because if you lo lose a husband, we have a word for that. If you lose uh, like a brother, we have a word for that. If you lose a child, there is no word. No word can can you know uh, uh, appre apprehend this pain. So it, it is unacceptable. But if it is by the police, the one that should be protecting you, this is just, I'm, I'm going to go to the streets. I'm going to yell. I'm going to scream. You know, it's, it's unacceptable. And I have the feeling that now we are beginning to understand as a society that we cannot tolerate this kind of behavior. The institutions cannot act like that and we will scream until it changes if you look at George Ford you know he wasn't a criminal and you put your knee on his mm -hmm. neck like that like in my country it's a Muslim country and we there's a festivity where we kill um you know like uh, a little mouton it's like little um uh, kind of like animal to, to eat the meat after that usually the way to kill that animal is to put your knee on on his neck and then uh and these guys were saying the senegalese government have decided they're not going to do that anymore because many people were comparing uh you know the the white guy putting his knee on on this guy's neck and to kill him is just devastating and i just can't imagine and he was calling his mother I can't just imagine my son being arrested and, and being killed like that. I, I just, I don't know if I could survive, Millie. I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stay here. I would just go I with him. I, I know. I, I can't. I know. I know, Marianne. It's, it's just, I was listening to uh, Colonel West uh, talking yesterday at CNN and he was just coming from uh, the the mass for George Floyd. He said something that stuck to my mind. He he was like, "We don't want revenge." And you guys, you you white guys, are lucky because we don't want revenge. We just want to spread love. Mm. And now that I'm 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 almost crying because he was so he was so beautiful what he said. That's because sweet. yes, if if you guys want revenge. I mean, you know, it was the end of the world because if it's for 500 years 
of oppression, 500 years of mistreats, 500 years of injustice. I mean, you cannot come back from that. You know, you've been fighting uh, discrimination for so long, but uh, can you explain to the, to, the, to the girls and boys listening, how have you been uh, discriminated? Can you just give us a couple of examples of discrimination, especially in the media industry, you have a big, big voice in, around the world. How have you been discriminated? Yeah, the sex. I, I, I understood sexism in a very late age because when the feminist movement started to give names to actions like man interrupting, like man spreading, uh, you can say, oh my God, that's what's happening. Because before that, before you can name it, I think you cannot understand. If you cannot understand, you cannot change. So when I understood the depth of um, uh, sexism, I could start saying, okay, stop. Now now I, I'll, I'll talk. You don't interrupt me. You, you know, I can say like, you know, don't, don't explain that to me. I know that more than you do. So... I, I started to, you know, make myself very loud on this matter, and I started to write about it too, because uh, it's just it's very it's very subtle this these techniques of sexism, you know. Uh, sometimes they they are happening all around you, and you don't understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. So when you understand, and uh, feminists like you know Angela Davis had a very important um, role in, in in explaining it to me through her books about uh, feminism and how to, you know, and there is a writer, um, American writer called uh, Rebecca Sonnet that have a couple of books that uh, can uh, point things, you know, like conceptualize sexism and, and tell us when it's happening and how it's happening. So I say, uh, um, study about feminism, understand the techniques of sexism, because you, you will be trained to um, know when, when they are happening. And when you, when you can see that they are happening, you will not swallow them anymore. You're just going to stop and say, okay, listen, uh, don't explain that to me, or just don't interrupt me. Um, and as a lesbian, I was, I was, I think the most uh, um, discriminated that I have been was uh, by my mom because I am like, I am white. So mm -hmm. people just tend to, I don't have it because Brazil is, is the first, uh, is the highest rate of killing LGBTs in the world. Very true. Yeah. Uh, it's so in the, the in the outskirts, you know, people that are not rich or people that are black and gay and poor and gay, uh, they have it tough. The, the, uh, our society just kills them like any other country in the world. Mm -hmm. So I had it easy, you know, I had it easy. I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say you are being humble. I wouldn't say you had it easy because I think like, you know, you maybe, um, you know, what, what I've noticed is that, you know, even if you feel you had it easy, you know, maybe you had it, uh, you had a privilege, but I think what is beautiful about you is that you are, you understand this. And I think what we have right now in the media in the West uh, is that people 
don't even try to understand their privilege. They don't even understand mm-hmm. that actually, you know, I am a, I'm a, I'm a gay lesbian woman in Brazil. I live in a beautiful house. You know, I, I'm going to be safe. But the reason why it's important to talk about, you know, our privileges is that this is going to also help racism and anger and frustration. I said to my girlfriends all the time, you know, all I need from you, just like you said earlier, share stories, you know, support, support our movement. Uh, you know, work with us, you know, like, for example, you taking your time at 5 a.m. Brazil time to join our podcast. This is this is what humanity is, because you could have said, sorry, I don't have time. I, this is what I want my 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 white friends to start understanding what collaboration means. What can you do as a white privileged person to to make a difference is because this mm-hmm. podcast will be listened to by refugee girls, by girls mm-hmm. in favelas, by people mm-hmm. who are. Uh, you know, really in difficult times, 70 million refugees across the world. And then mm-hmm. this, this podcast is now their way of like listening to good people like you. Thank you. Thank you. I think privilege hit me when I understood that my, my, my failures in life, they had nothing to do with my skin colors, but all my successes had. That's, that's the first thing I noticed about, about privilege. Because I had I had a first job when I was 17 years old because my dad got me this first job, mm-hmm. and I could write as. So that was a well-known person in Brazil, right? Yeah, he was. He was a journalist, so he opened doors doors for me, mm-hmm. and I could uh, go to the best schools, you know. And uh, it was always easy to me. And I have failures in life. Everybody, everybody does, right? But my failures. Uh, they have nothing to do with my skin colors, but my successes have. So when, with privilege comes responsibility. True. And responsibility is you have to speak clear, loud, as much as you can about the world's injustices because you had it easy. You know, you have to do it. It's just not a matter of sitting back and relaxing. This is not a world that that allows us to relax right now because uh, we as humanity are facing the possibility of ex- extinct ourselves, right? We have, we have the possibility of being our own meteor, you know, like the dinosaurs, they have an excuse. The meteor came and exploded them. But we are we are working on our own destruction, True. exploring the world as we are, exploring other people as we are. So I think privilege, recognizing privilege is a very important thing. And then comes opportunity and then comes responsibility. There are the, th- the two things that come with, with privilege, opportunity first, responsibility right after. So we have to fight with the unprivileged. We have to fight with the oppressed. We have to go hands in hands, you know? There is no other way um, uh, uh, how can we change the world. There is a, the, we have to fight, we have to fight. It's amazing, you know. It's, it's, I've never, I've never had anyone explain to me 
what privilege was just like you did because I think many of my friends they don't use their privilege as a responsibility that's just something I've learned so much today from you is you are right being having privilege is actually you know having responsibility because then you can not speak for people or not speak at them but you know work with them and uh, I know that you have been you know helping so many people uh, you know you also have a, a philanthropy in you know in your heart you're helping people slowly slowly what do you think is the uh, you know the future of education right now uh, in Brazil, I know so many people don't have access to online learning, mm-hmm. uh, and they've been struggling. What do you suggest that we should do? What happens in Brazil now is that uh, we, we you can have a very good uh, education if you have a lot of money. If you don't have any money, you won't have an education because we don't have enough free schools. So I think we have to fight for a world where education is free and for all and equal, you know, the rich and the poor having the same education, because only then we can end uh, this huge uh, inequality that we have in the world, you know, Uh, I mean, a little inequality is we will always have that because mm-hmm. some people would would want uh, less things in life. Some people will need more things in life. That's part of the game. What we cannot have is uh, a few people with a lot, everything they can buy, everything they can have, and a lot of people with nothing, with hunger and without access to you know health or education or food or clothes. So the only way to stop that is getting people educated. And to do that right now, it have to be free. It have to be for all. You know, it have to be an, uh, in the outskirts, in the favelas. So we have to have a mass plan of education. But what happens in Brazil right now is that the plan is no education because when you when you do that, you will have a maid forever in your house because, oh, here, my dishes, here, make, make up my bed. This is how the rich live in Brazil right now. If all have education, they won't accept that. They'll go for their, you know, I want to do something else of my life. I want to, you know, even if I, you want me to clean your house, well, pay me, I don't know, something that is worth the job, you know. And so I believe in free education. You know, you know, I didn't go to school, but I can understand that the the, the World Economic Forum and the United Nations are talking about domestic issues. The reason why many young girls don't actually go to school is because of the the fact they're living these domestic lives. They have they can't mm-hmm. read, they can't write, and so we have girls in Kakuma, as you know. I've been working with young girls in Brazil in favelas. What do you think is the future for young uh, women and girls in Brazil? It's very hard, Mili. There. Oh, I mean, it's very the hard. Of stuff I see for. The favelas. I mean, we have so many young women and girls. I just yeah. don't know teenage pregnancy. Uh, they have babies early. I just yeah. don't know what to do with these issues. Yeah, it's it's very sad because um, th- there is domestic violence for for once, because you know these these guys, these poor guys, they they go out to work. They are abused and oppressed by their bosses and by the system, and when they come home they feel they can do the same and women are at the top you know at the bottom of this scale so they abuse and oppress women we have a, a high a very high rate of uh, feminicide i don't know if this yeah, is the yeah, right yeah, one. Yeah. feminicide in brazil 
And yeah, the the the, the, the teenage pregnancy is a huge problem because the, the the these churches are all around, you know, in the the outskirts in the favelas, and they are saying you cannot you cannot make sex, you cannot use any prevention, just believe in the God's word and stuff like that. So people will do sex because teenagers will, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and and so they don't they don't know what to do. They're, There's no family they, planning. Exactly. No, no sex education. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. You know the the other things I was I was saying the other day is that um, when we talk about discrimination, sometimes we talk about discrimination in uh, you know race and and sexism, all of that. But I also know that uh, you know being you know being gay and really deciding that you want to you know use your sexuality to the full is really. Uh, important and our young girls some of them are coming out you know mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. coming out and you know they want to explore their sexuality they're beautiful they want to do what they want to do uh, I was mm-hmm. in Belo, Belo Horizonte where I met some uh, you know young artists and who are you know like the beautiful guys and very very flashy they had a contract in London they were going to travel in London and I was asking them uh, about this and they said well, yeah we just want to express ourselves and they would dress mm-hmm. nice so what would you say to young girls and boys who are looking to come out now in Brazil in Africa uh, you know I don't think they're going to have the the courage you had but is mm-hmm. it a message mm-hmm. you have for them oh yeah I, I would say there's nothing wrong with you you're not sick you just want to love and love cannot be wrong Loving anyone cannot be wrong. So just love, just be yourself. Just listen to what uh, your heart beats to and everything will be fine because, you know, um, I'm talking to you, looking at my window right now. I, I see trees, I see the grass, I see the sun rising. This, is, this planet is a miracle that we exist is a miracle. Uh, that, that trees can breathe out and I can breathe in what did trees breathe out this is a miracle we are all miracles we are all miracles this to be here in this planet we have to understand that and i think we will get to a place where we we will we will be able to see it so i i say to these young people at the favelas or the outskirts or the young people that are having now an unprivileged unprivileged life uh, you are beautiful. You are a miracle. You are a miracle. And we can fight together. We can fight together. Organize. Organize. Look at your side. There will be someone struggling as you are. This is not your fault. It's a society's fault. It's economic. It's politics. It's not your fault. So organize. Organize. And we can change that. Wow, that's amazing. You know, I wish when I was young, I listened to someone like you. <laughs> Maybe I would have lived my gay life. Who knows? <laughs> oh, Maria, you're awesome. If stories about uh, like yours were told me on an early age, I would be a different lady. I would, I would woke, I would have woke, woken up earlier. You know, uh, I really love you. I love your story and I love the, the woman you are. You teach me a lot. Thank you so oh, much. You do, you do teach me as well. You know, the I'm just good. I always ask my guests when they come a couple of questions is uh, before they go. So what is humanity for you? Humanity for me is loving each other. Humanity for me is understanding that we are all part of the same a same 
little planet lost in this cosmos that are huge and we are here living in this planet together we have to be creative and we have to love each other and what is resilience means to you i know you have been a resilient individual all your life so what does it mean to you resilience right now to me is resist resist the system resist injustice resist all this prejudice uh, just breathing is an act of politics today because we are suffocating either by covid-19 or by the hand of the police or by hunger so we have to resist every breath is resilience today and what is love for you <laughs> Love. I know I know you like that. What is love? So take your time because yeah. yeah, so what is love for you? I know you are a very loving person and I love you. <laughs> I love you too. Uh love I think love for me is accepting the all the difference there is in the world. I think it's very easy to love uh what uh, looks like you, but true love it's not for the people that's right at your side or for the ones that look like you true love is for all the things that doesn't look like you and are far away from you and true love is 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 love loving George Floyd you know is loving João Pedro the the little boy that was murdered by the police in in in, in Rio and loving his mother and and loving at the point that you cannot be in your house just taking it in you have to take the streets and 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 scream for them i think loving the difference is true love and last point how can the brazilian people stay resilient right now understanding that we were told lies that uh this world is is messed up and that we have to fight for the ones that right now can't breathe a lot of people in brazil are not breathing today because they're dying in hundreds and in 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 hundreds every day every day it is a a, a one a brazilian life per minute at this point because of covid-19 so um we have to look at at what this injustice and we have to understand that government is responsible for those deaths and if if they can't breathe, breathe i cannot breathe uh, also you know we have to stick together and take down this government because what we're seeing in brazil right now is genocide milila com you are my hero you are my <laughs> you are my resilient soul <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to have you. We can talk until tomorrow, but I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Millie. Thank you. Oh, Mariam, you are my hero. Thank you for for having me and anytime, please anytime and come back to Brazil soon and we will meet again as 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 soon as we can. No, I will. I will. I will come back and I want you to come and see the girls in uh, in Africa as well. Yes, I want to go there with you. I want to go there you. with you. Thank you so much, Millie. I was so touched by that. I've learned so much from Millie. I mean, awesome lady, really awesome lady. You have been listening to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jam. One thing I've learned 
over the last couple of months is there's no freedom without courage. We have to have the honor to actually be courageous. Join me next week for another I am the code podcast episode. You can follow I am the code on Instagram or on Twitter or go simply on the website iamthecode.org. Many people suffered before you and they will suffer after you. But I want you to stay resilient. Happy Pride Month. Thank you.